0: I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic. As for your boy, I am the polar opposite. I am in a very surly, angry, and frustrated sports mood, so get ready to fasten your seatbelts because I'm going to take you on a wild ride through this sports universe here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 157 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, September the 28th, in the year of our Lord, 2020, the J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here on this podcast is as follows, Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals is tonight, And will Tampa Bay finally break through to get that elusive cup going back to 2015, loses to Chicago in that series. And then last year, we all know, culminating in that wonderful regular season where they bombed and fizzled against Columbus being swept out of the postseason. Well, now here they are, just one win away. They weren't able to secure it on Saturday night, but now they have a chance to do so. We'll talk about that as well as, is Tampa the current sports hotbed in the country? I'll explain that later on. I'll also get into the sprint finally being over in Major League Baseball. 60 games up, 60 games down. Now we get ready for the hunt of October glory where it begins tomorrow with a wild wild card round. That's what I'm going to call it. As I'll break down all the matchups, the storylines, etc. as we head into this postseason. And we all know the flag has been half-massed out in Queens. A 2020 rest in peace to the New York Mets. We'll talk about that as well. I'll also get into... The NFL, who made the cut for this week's winners and losers for week three, another wild and wacky Sunday, pretty much the first one of this year, three weeks in, and we had a lot of unpredictability happen throughout the Shield and what went on in the National Football League, so you know I'll touch on that. College football, we had the Pac-12, which will start up as expected. What does this mean for college football in this crazy year of 2020, now that the Power Five is back and ready to go, or just about? We also had the French Open kickoff yesterday In Roland Garros We'll spend a couple of minutes on that Conor McGregor Looks like he's going to fight Manny Pacquiao Does anybody really care? I'll share my two cents on that My Hero and Zero of the Week And people as we know it Come Thursday will be exactly three months From January 1st, 2021 And as much as that may be music to everybody's ears We must pause Take a deep breath and realize that we cannot fast-forward time. As much as we want to throw this year in the garbage, as much as we want to forget about this start of the decade, as much as we don't even want to pay any mind, it'll always be in the history books. It'll always be forever etched in our minds and our souls because that's just the way this year's been. And as strange and bizarre as 2020 has been, and getting ready to embark on this final quarter, we know we have an election coming up, which I'm not going to get into right now, We obviously have the holiday season, who knows what it's going to be like come Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc. But one thing for sure, what's going to take place over these final three months, especially in the sports world, where we still have to have a Masters champion in golf, where we still have to experience a final leg in the Triple Crown as far as horse racing is concerned. But as zany and as wacky as this year has been, just look at these next three days as a microcosm of this year that we still can't digest and want to even fathom for that matter when you look at tonight mentioning the Tampa Bay Lightning looking to get that Stanley Cup and ending an NHL season tomorrow the American League will kick off the baseball postseason with four games and then the eight that I mentioned on Wednesday where the National League will usher in their postseason series and then on Wednesday night We will have the start of an NBA final between one contestant that was certainly expected to be there and the other no one saw coming. And that's where I'm going to start for this week's podcast because as much as people want to say, come on Jay Reels, talk about the NFL. Everybody's in football mode right now. Nobody cares about the Stanley Cup finals. All right, baseball starting the postseason, but it's been a wash season to begin with with 60 games and all these stupid gimmicks. And even the same for the NBA, the bubble, these teams haven't really put forth the best effort. Are the Miami Heat deserving to be there in the NBA Finals, considering the Bucs were the best team in a regular season and the Celtics were better than the Heat overall? But here we are. The team that plays its games about 220 miles south of the bubble are the one team that's going to represent in the Eastern Conference, and that will be the Miami Heat. What could you say? It's been an unexpected ride. And we can't look at it from the standpoint of if this was a regular year, if this was a normal year, would the Heat be here? Let's face it, chances are they probably wouldn't. And for whatever the reason, you got to give them credit, Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley, the drafting, the signings, etc. Because here they are getting ready to play against the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that everybody thought was going to be here. And for the next couple of days, everybody's going to sink their teeth in with an NBA final where you have the powerhouse of the Lakers and everything that they stood for in this league going way back to the days of Minneapolis. Whereas this Miami Heat team is now looking to go into its fourth phase of this franchise, which has now been around for 32 years. When you look at the mid-90s teams with Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway, Dan Marley, etc. into the mid-2000 teams where they won their first title under... Dwayne Wade, and Shaquille O'Neal, and Antoine Walker, and Gary Payton, and guys like that. Then to face the Heatles, LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, and going to four straight finals, and winning those middle two against Oklahoma City and San Antonio. And now they're getting ready to embark on the fourth phase of their franchise, where you have a lot of guys, unsung heroes, players that you wouldn't have expected to perform the way they have here in the bubble, and now they have a right to go up against Goliath. Because I think this series is going to be a David versus Goliath type series. It's easy for people to look at and say, well, the Heat are worthy to be here. Now, this is a team that's deserving to be here in this spot. And actually, do they have a shot to beat the Lakers? To me, that is going to be one of the main questions here. Despite the juicy storylines going into this NBA final, as we all know, Pat Riley The former Showtime coach of the 80s Going up against his old team But it's not even that It's him going up against LeBron As weird as that may sound But the only reason why I bring it up Is because of the divorce in 2014 All the words that Pat Riley had stated afterwards As far as him jumping ship Going back to Cleveland And to paraphrase what Pat Riley said at that time Said it's not supposed to be easy This is a journey That we can't expect to win every year Let's stay as a team. Let's push through. Let's see if we can get back to the mountaintop. But LeBron had other ideas to go back home to win a championship in which he did two years after that. And the reports or the rumors of Pat Riley sending text messages to LeBron James after him winning that title and LeBron not responding to any of them. To now LeBron making it to his 10th NBA final more than a lot of teams have played throughout its league's existence. And... Him trying to get that fourth title, that championship with a third team, which for him, I'm sure he will relish just as much as the other three. And for him, if you want to say a little bit of payback to the Miami Heat, I know he has no ill will toward the organization. You've heard him say time and time again, it was a must for him to go to Miami. It was kind of like his four years of going to college and what he learned, not only about himself, but about Being the guy who could be a leader. Who could take his team to the next step. And we actually saw that when he went to Cleveland. To now. Having these two teams go tooth and nail. A team that has. The glitz and the glamour. The star-studded superstars of. The aforementioned LeBron James. And of course Anthony Davis. To the. Blue collar. Lunch pail. Miami Heat team. That has a bunch of dogs. Jimmy Butler. Bam out of bio. Tyler Harrow pretty much coming out of nowhere to have a postseason, and especially an Easter Conference final the way he did. Same for Duncan Robinson. Players like that who aren't part of the NBA lexicon as far as household names are concerned, but they certainly have made themselves known, especially in this last series, to bring them to this stage, to this level, to try to attain and reach that Lawrence O'Brien trophy. And as we go through both of these teams, I'm going to start with the Heat real quick, only because they just won last night, and I get that the night before the Lakers won. But the Heat are a team that I've actually gotten on their case this past week. When they went up three games to one against the Celtics, and the hero was Tyler Hero in the game of his life, 37 points, attacking the basket, shooting from three, doing whatever it takes to get them that much closer to an NBA final. And that's the thing with the Heat because it's not going to be counted on one guy every night. It's not going to be just about LeBron James or Anthony Davis from the Lakers side. If you're a Miami Heat fan, if you're a Miami player, one night it could be Tyler Harrow as you saw in game number four. Or last night, Bam Adebayo, who bounced back from an atrocious game five and even said, put his hand up, put this one on me, I played awful. 32 points and 14 rebounds. Jimmy Butler, a guy who is respected around the league as a top player, but certainly not an all-NBA type player. But you can't tell him that because he may not have all-NBA talent, but he certainly has all-NBA heart and guts. And when you look at the culture, as they call it, a word that kind of gets overblown and overexposed in this day and age, but they do call the heat culture very important as far as having those type of guys who are well-conditioned, Who are not only tough, have a high basketball IQ, clutch, etc. So as much as it is about trying to win championships, they want to do it on their terms. Yes, they went down the road in 2014 of getting the superstar, the high-level talent to take them to the promised land, in which we saw two of those four years in Miami when LeBron James was there. But Pat Riley, as always, shrewd, smart doing things on the fly, bringing those type of guys that he knows will go to battle night in and night out to get themselves close to the mountaintop and now they're just four wins away from getting there. And what could you say? You got to give the Heat credit. They had a stinker in game five. It was a weird game because the first half was all Heat and the Celtics looked like they didn't want to play. They were ready to check out of the bubble. And in the second half, they turned it around Jason Tatum, who had that slow first half in game four, pretty much had a similar game like that in game five, but was able to turn it up, and Jalen Brown made big shots. but well, nobody even cares about the Celtics, and you know I'm going to get to them in a minute. And then what could you say about last night? Celtics had a six-point lead there, with nine minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, which isn't insurmountable by any stretch, but their last lead was 199, and then that's when the Heat put the Jets on and blew the doors off open on the Celtics it was a display that obviously I didn't see coming I thought the Heat not that they would play tight because those are the type of games they like to play in they're not a team that doesn't really come from behind although you look at games 1 and 2 of that series just atrocious on the Celtics part but you got to give the Heat credit there and now with the Heat after winning that fourth quarter in decisive fashion and being here at this point knowing that they have to stare down the eyes of a number 23. A guy who was a huge part of a Heat organization. In that level 3 of this franchise. And knowing that if they could somehow someway get past this one. This probably could be sweeter than all of them. But it's going to be a monumental task. And I'll get to that in a second. The Heat right now are still playing with house money. And even though I got on the Heat's. Case and their fans, two in particular, I got to give a shout out to Sam Newton, who's down in Miami, and Brian Murray, uh, my guy I've known for many years, who's across the river in New Jersey, has been a Heat fan since day one, and how after game four, I wrote that the Heat are going to go to a final, and if they get embarrassed here, they're going to end up looking like frauds, and Brian, he and I back and forth corresponding, saying that, oh, you can't say that about them, nobody expect them to be here, so on and so forth, but to me, this is the flip side of it. Because how many times have we seen teams dominate through a postseason, whether they have the number one seed or a top seed in the conference, and then it just blows up in their face? I just mentioned about the Tampa Bay Lightning just a few minutes ago, where they stormed through the league last year, record-setting performances, and then they went out like lambs and getting swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets of all teams. And we've seen that throughout history, where... All you could do is look at last year in the NCAA tournament Or two years ago where the Virginia Cavaliers Were the first team ever in the history of the tournament To be upset by a 16 seed As they were the top seed overall in the tournament And then what did they do? They followed that up with a national title But even that first year As much as they were number one overall And their reputation in the tournament was Very sketchy to say the least And for them to get bounced the way they did by a 16 seed of all teams, what did that make them? Frauds. Where in this case, with the Heat, right, they were middle of the pack in the East. They were a team that was on the come up because of their young talent. And people thought that, hey, they may be able to make some noise in the postseason, but not to the point that we thought they would make it to an NBA final. But with only losing three games in the first three rounds and playing like a team, That is worthy of of one seed. Because one seeds usually go through the postseason. Losing three games. Getting to a finals. Or even sometimes losing three games. Throughout the whole postseason. And after game four. I came out and said that. If they get embarrassed. By the Lakers in this next round. In my eyes. They're going to be frauds. If they play. A six or seven game series. Which is competitive. But they end up losing. all right, fine. Lakers are the better team. Etc. I just hope. That this Heat team brings the energy the way they have in these first three rounds against this team because they're going up against not only just LeBron and AD, but now they're going up against the ghost of Kobe Bryant. And not only that, but also equally in the Celtics, which I know the players probably don't even care about that, but to tie them for 17 titles all time, which we all know five of them were in Minneapolis. So really 11 have been in Los Angeles. So let's not get that twisted. But to me, it's more importantly, it's going to be the combination of LeBron and the ghost of Kobe is going to be tough to overcome for this Heat team. And I'm going to root for the Heat hard, big time. But I'll get to that in a second. As for the Lakers, it is clear cut. It's champion or bust for this team. We've seen what they've done. I know Denver all offseason is going to be thinking about that game too. Not guarding Anthony... Davis at the perimeter making that 3 They probably would have lost the series anyway But they'd be looking at a game 6 Which would have been played tonight But obviously they're long gone And give it up to them They have had a great postseason run Hopefully they could build on this And maybe make it to an NBA final Which the Nuggets have never done But it's about the Lakers And it's about this season And everything that had transpired from last year Not making it to the playoffs The Anthony Davis trade The fast start The untimely death of Kobe COVID, four and a half months off, the eight-game regular season in the bubble, not really playing well, losing game one to Portland, everybody thought that the sky was falling, that there's no way the Lakers are going to even beat Portland, and I laughed at that. Go check the receipts. I fig- I knew they were going to win in five or six games. I may mean, have picked them in six just to give Portland a little bit of credit, but there was no way that the Lakers were in trouble in that first round, even after losing game one. And then they lost game one to the Rockets, and then... Easily dispose of them afterwards And then now What they did with the Nuggets Now the Lakers don't have much of a supporting cast We know that if Playoff Rondo And that's Rajon Rondo of course If he shows up And makes contributions That's going to be A boon For them winning a title this year I know the Alice Caruso's Could give you a contribution Contavious Caldwell Pope You know he's are guys That Obviously aren't going to scare you Or keep you up at night If you're Eric Spolstra As far as what to do to contain them Defend them, etc And Dwight Howard Now has made it back to the finals For the first time since the 2009 season When he went up against the Lakers at that time But how I see this series shaking out Is The Heat I don't want to say they're going to have that Happy to be there mentality The organization's been there before You even have Udonis Haslam, who's on the bench, as you've seen throughout the postseason. He's going to be a guy that's a pseudo coach, a cheerleader, and I'm sure he's going to want this one because you would think that after this year, he'll probably retire. He'll have his number up in the rafters, and you know he's going to be part of that organization in the front office to some degree, but right now, you know he wants to get that last ring and to think he would have more than D. Wade, who had the three rings as we know, And granted, he doesn't have much of an impact as far as a player is concerned, but at the same time, he could still boast that if he does get that ring as a player, although being on the bench, he'll be the only one in the organization that can say that. But to me, this series is going to be all about the Lakers. This is the moment that they've waited for. I'm sure Anthony Davis could taste it. I'm sure LeBron as well. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say the Heat are going to roll over and just give it to them because the Heat are going to fight. But are they going to have enough? Are they going to get enough from the guys that I mentioned before that have been major contributors, especially in this past series against the Celtics, to get them to win that NBA championship? I'm going to cut right to the chase. Lakers in five. I know that's going to piss off the Sam Newtons and the Brian Murrays of the world. And... It's not an anti-Heat pick by any stretch Because trust me I am rooting hard For the Heat to win But as unexpected of this playoff run Has been for the Heat And some people even want to compare it To the 2004 NBA Finals With the Pistons going up against the Shaq, Kobe, even Gary Payton And Carmelo led Lakers But you can't even compare those two as lunch as the Pistons were, and as much as they were a cohesive team, but they had veterans on that team. Really, when you think about it, the only veteran on this Heat team, and I understand Iguodala made a contribution to the game last night, which was a killer for the Celtics. But to me, this team is Jimmy Butler and the young guys that are going to carry them to win this title if they do win it. Whereas the Piston team, they had Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, they had guys who played, Tayshaun Prince, you know, there weren't a bunch of first and second year players on this team. And not only that, but the Lakers had won the three titles prior to the 2003-2004 season where they tried to get that elusive ring for one Gary Payton and Karl Malone, and we all know the Pistons won in five. So to me, there are no comparisons as much as people want to look at it and, hey, this has that possibility of the Pistons being the heat this year, and then of course that Laker team, with this Laker team, uh-uh. This Laker team hasn't won in 10 years. So there's no comparison. But Lakers in five, that's my pick. They won in five in the first three rounds. Why not follow suit with another one? And what will that mean for LeBron and the Lakers, the organization, etc.? Well, when we get to that bridge, we'll cross it. And we'll keep that for another day. But NBA Finals will tip off there on Wednesday, 9 p.m. And I believe it's Wednesday, Game 2 Friday, and then Game 3 Sunday, which goes up against the NFL. I mean, what could you do? It's just that time of year. And who knows? If it's 1-1, I think if it's 1-1, it will be interesting and maybe some people will be able to watch. I haven't gone through the NFL schedule for next Sunday. I'll talk about that later on as far as who that team We'll be going up against or what the matchup that Sunday night game will go up against game three of the NBA finals but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds and we'll certainly look forward to watching that Wednesday night even with all the baseball that will take place and maybe even a game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. so interesting times here like I said at the very top these next three days lots of sports and lots of playoffs that you could chew on here more so than ever but again This is what 2020 has been all about. Unpredictable, crazy, wacky, zany. And we got it here in the sports world as well. All right, let me put an epitaph on the Boston Celtics because, as I said, not being happy, cranky, frustrated, angry, surly. One of the reasons why I feel that way is because the Celtics were slightly favored to win this series. And it's their third time in four years they made it to a conference final Where the first two times they weren't favored They got blown out in that first Series against the Cavaliers In 2017 they lost in five games Then the next year They went to a seventh game Against LeBron Without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward And we know what happened there And then here The first person I gotta Put the bullseye squarely on Is Coach Brad Stevens. As much as Stevens has been a Breath of fresh air Coming from college To the pros And being that guy Who's a well-respected coach Throughout the league He's got to take a big hit here And As we watch this series unfold And we know For everything I've said about the Heat And give him all the credit in the world Smart Tough Physical Always coming at you And coming at you from various ways It seems as if Brad Stevens did not take the temperature of this team or of the other team at times because of the way he coached. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we could talk about adjustments, we could talk about why didn't he put this player in or why didn't he do this, why didn't he do that. Let's just talk about the team first. They were sloppy. They were, I don't want to say lazy, but there were times that they were just almost seemed like they felt like they could turn on the switch and be able to take over a game at any point. And although you did see that in the second half of game five, but this Celtic team has done nothing to warrant that type of reputation because of the young talent that they have and the two vets in Kemba Walker and then later on Gordon Hayward. And we understand that he's very mild-mannered. He's not a guy that's going to yell and scream and rah-rah. And that's not what we want from Brad Stevens. But the one thing I do want is for him to check his players when it comes to hero ball, as we see time and time again. And I don't want to hear, well, this is how the league is right now. It's all about three-point shooting, blah, blah, We all know that if you live and die by the three-pointer, you're going to die more than you live. And when you have these numbers, whether it's three for 10 for Jason Tatum last night, four for 13 for Marcus Smart last night, all these shooting numbers for three that are well below 40% you got to switch it up. You got to look at your team and say to yourself, all right, I need to attack more. And there were times that he did attack. But it was almost as if that he forgot about that. Because as we saw in the first two games, the zone was a problem against the Celtics. And then he found the way out of it in game three when Gordon Hayward came back. And then you would think that as the game started to develop and as the game started to breathe a little bit, you would think, okay, this is what I'm going to do here, this is what I'm going to do there. It's almost as if as that he was playing so conservative and was not ready to push the envelope. And I get at times he tried to make his changes with Ennis Cantor and try to get a little bit of infusion of offense from him that we saw at particular game five. You know, I hate to say this, but it's almost if like he floats in and out of these games. He doesn't take a stranglehold on these games. He doesn't say, uh-uh, this is the way the pace of the game is going to be. I'm going to play at this pace. I'm not going to play at the Heat's pace it's almost when the Heat throw a haymaker, he gets staggered, and it takes so much time for him to realize that he's staggered, that once he makes that adjustment, all out of the zone, then the Heat come back with another haymaker, and it's like, well, now I've lost my equilibrium again. And for whatever the reason, when this, during this chess match, he doesn't seem to think ahead, look ahead, it's almost as if he doesn't let the game come to him, he goes to it, And then when he goes to it, he's scrambling around trying to find an answer. And it's become increasingly frustrating because this is a guy who's been in the league seven years and now that his team has pretty much taken into shape. Yes, can there be some tweaks? We'll get into that in a second. But the bottom line is, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the bottom line is is that when it comes to Stevens and coaching these games, he doesn't really have a full grasp of it. And this is based on what I've seen. Now, I don't know. Somebody tell me anything different. Because as much as you saw the adjustments there in game three, what happened in game four when Tyler Hero was just all over the place scoring points? Where's the man that's going to guard him? What about the perimeter defense at the three? This was a team that prided its defense, not only on the overall metrics, I hate to say that, but even more so from three-point range. And for a team that shoots threes unabashedly you would think that they were going to protect the perimeter knowing that they have guys like Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson and Jay Crowder who had an awful shooting series but he's a guy that lives on the three-point line let's face it and obviously he coached Jay Crowder so he should know but why weren't there anybody at home when it comes to guarding these players from the perimeter who have just killed them left and right even go back to the Toronto series, why was O.G. and Obi wide open to hit that three, which that series shouldn't have gone seven games. Let's face it. That's what I mean about Stevens not getting a grasp, first and foremost, of his team, and then of the game as it starts to unfold in front of his eyes. It's almost as if he reacts late to it, even though he does make those adjustments, but not in the timely fashion that it should be. So that's it with Stevens. The next person I got I to gotta get on Gordon Hayward I'm sorry I understand Forget about the ankle injury years ago That's long gone I don't want to hear it There's no excuse about that anymore He's been back two years since then Okay I don't know if uh, this ankle injury was bothering him If he's on the court He's got to produce I don't know if him having His wife who recently had, they had another baby Another addition to the family I don't know if that was weighing on him But Gordon Hayward and we know the Celtics overpaid for him, so it's not even a thing about his contract. He has one more year left. But I believe it's a player option. Will he go the route of Al Horford as he did last year when he left the Celtics to sign with the Sixers? Or will he stay for that one more year? Now, Hayward, as we all know, he's not going to get a big payday like he did with Boston. I'm surprised Horford got the money he got. And that to me, that was mind-blowing. But who knows? There may be a GM that's stupid enough that's going to do that. Because... Let's face it, called as we see it, Hayward is not that impact player anymore. And even me, with those years in Utah that he did make, I believe, one or two all-star teams, I still didn't feel he was that much of an impact player because I haven't seen it year in and year out with him. Has he had his moments? Absolutely. Has he been an all-star? Of course. But he's not a guy that you could 1,000% count on and know that he's going to average anywhere between 20 to 22 seven to nine rebounds and maybe four to six assists a game he floats in and out of these games like his coach and if you're a Celtic fan you got to be frustrated with him in his performance game three he didn't light up the stat sheet by any stretch but he made an impact on this game because he was able to impact that zone but then after that where, where was he the man was a ghost And was indicative on that play. What was it? 60 to 57 in the third quarter yesterday. He had a wide open layup. I mean, I could have made that layup. And he brutally missed it. I mean, it didn't bounce off the rim. It like went off the backboard and then went almost to the sideline, it seemed. So for him getting paid that much, and here's the other thing about Hayward. If you're going to get paid that much and you're not going to produce, you must, not have to, must be a leader on this team. And right, is he going to be the Kevin Garnett in your face yelling and screaming rah-rah? No. And I'm sure he's a leader on that team. We all know he's a veteran, respected, etc. Obviously knows Brad Stevens going back to his college days as a butler, being a player for him. But is he a true leader for that kind of money? I don't see it. And then Kemba, I know he gave it his all. I know he had injuries coming into this postseason and he played his heart out but the thing with Kemba and you're going to have to live with this just like anything else he is as streaky as it gets he's a guy that could have that good first half and then he'll continue to take shots he's not afraid of taking shots but when he goes cold he goes ice cold and it's unfortunate because he was a key contributor and he was a key guy to get them to places where he's never been but you also got to understand this this is the first time he's ever had a deep playoff run in his NBA career And that's not to exonerate him or excuse him by any stretch. But at the same time, it goes on his record knowing that as he got into the deep end of the pool, when it comes to the postseason, he had to perform even at a higher level. And he didn't match that. He wasn't as impactful. Yes, he had his stretches. Yes, he made big shots. Yes, he, right. But at the same time, did he do that for 48 minutes or for the minutes that he played? Absolutely not. And as far as Tatum and Jalen Brown are concerned, those are guys that are going to learn on the fly. Like Tatum said in the postgame, this was a huge experience for him. But he has to stop playing hero ball. He has to be a little bit smarter with that. And he has those stretches where you saw game five. He didn't score a point in the first half and he scored 28 in the second half to a victory. And Jalen Brown, you only hope he develops. And I'm going to take this from my old partner, JD. So I got to give him the credit. But I think the window with this team, not to say it's closing by any stretch, it's still opening... But you kind of wonder, with him signing that extension and with Jalen Brown being a big part of everything that's happening outside of the court and what's going on in this country, you wonder if he's not going to be long for an NBA career when it comes to his contract being up in another three years. That's not to say he's going to retire. That's not to say he's going to walk off into the sunset. Who knows? But Jalen Brown is that type of guy. He's very introspective, very reflective. A guy that basketball... Is a part of his life But is it really A huge part of his life I thought that was Interesting from JD From what he said So that's something To keep in mind For somewhere Way down the road But nevertheless Just put that little nugget In your head Because that could be Something where Let's say if the Celtics Win a championship In the next year or two I wouldn't be surprised If he says I've made enough money I don't need to live This lifestyle I want to do other things Bigger and better things That are going to impact His community His people And away he goes And one last thing, I know I spend a lot of time with the basketball people, again this is just raw and it's right in the heart and the chest right now and it's just ready to spill out. Of course I'm not happy that the Celtics lost, but the one thing, I am happy that they're not going to play the Lakers because if this was a Celtic-Laker final, it would not have the same buzz as all the other ones in the past. Because of the bubble, you're not going to have crowds, to have the Celtic crowd behind Their team and the Laker crowd behind theirs. You're not going to have that. So to me, I'm glad that that's not the case. And I wouldn't want my team to lose to the Lakers on top of that. So that would have been a double whammy in that regard. So if there is a little bit of a sliver of silver lining, and it's not much. Was that the Celtics won't have an opportunity to lose to the Lakers. And I know that may sound silly. And J Reels, how dare you? And yes, me being a, a lifelong sports fan. That is a take from like a bandwagon sports fan. I get that. Because you'd rather be there to win a title than not. But I just didn't see it. For everything that I mentioned about Stevens, about Gordon Hayward, etc. I don't think this team would have beaten the Lakers. Maybe it would have gone six games. Maybe. But I can see the Lakers winning five. And I don't want to be embarrassed by the Lakers. I'm sick and tired of the Lakers. Bad enough LeBron had to go there. Try to win a title there. And now, I know. So you know what? There is a saving grace in that regard that... I don't have to worry about the green and white losing to the purple and gold yet again because I've already experienced that enough for 20 lifetimes. 85, 87, 2010. All right, I'll get to the NHL postseason and preview the baseball season in a moment, but a little break in the action. I'll go to the NFL because I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about that. and I could spend a lot of time talking about the NFL, which I will, but I want to get to other things. I don't want this to be a five-hour podcast. I don't want to bore you guys to death, although I hope I am being not only very entertaining, but informing you of what's going on and you're taking my opinions with a little bit of a chuckle or maybe with some anger. Who knows? But with the NFL, I like to go through the winners and losers. I don't want to go through every game. My theme is, is that the teams that really came out on top are the ones I'm going to highlight as well as the teams that were on the other end of that. And I'll sprinkle in a few of the other games Because really Am I going to talk about What happened in Indianapolis Between the Jets And the Colts Uh, Please This was not Super Bowl 3 Revisited by any stretch And the same for San Francisco Against the Giants Do I even need to go there And the crazy thing is Didn't they both lose by the same score No I think the Jets lost 36-7 And the Giants lost 36-9 So football in New York Is not sinking fast It has already sunk to the bottom of the ocean So, obviously, I'm not going to get into those games or Miami beating Jacksonville on a Thursday night. I mean, really, am I going to dissect that? No, 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 no. So, let's go right to it. The winners of this week, I'm going to start with the Green Bay Packers. The Packers went to New Orleans. Everything that the Saints had to hear throughout the course of the week, especially the loss last Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders and them getting an opportunity to be in their building to try to silence the naysayers as far as Drew Brees is concerned, not being able to throw the football down the field, everything is dink and dunk over the middle, which you have seen, and Brees has been like that pretty much the last couple years, so this isn't anything new. Yes, would he take shots downfield? He would, but he's not going to take shots downfield the way he once did. We understand that Michael Thomas isn't there, but when Alvin Kamara is your featured back to where he catches 13 balls for 139 yards, and then everybody else is just Four catches, three catches, Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cooks. When you have guys like that, that are only going to contribute these paltry numbers, it does make you think whether or not New Orleans is going to be in it for the long haul because until they get Thomas back, we've seen this offense just pretty much dink and dunk throughout the whole field. To me, this isn't anything that's newsworthy or anything that's going to raise an eyebrow because all you got to do is just look at the games over the last few years. Even the wildcard game against the Vikings last year. Breeze wasn't chucking it all over the field that game. Go ahead and take a look. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. So for Green Bay to go in there and to do what they did, and I get maybe it's a little bit more of the Saints and what they're going through, but I have to give it up for them to go down there to be in a shootout, and you figure as the game got later and was tied at 27 that the Saints would find a way that they'll be able to go ahead and get that lead score, but then they go ahead to take a 10-point lead. I know the Saints... Came up with a field goal later on and then the Packers prevailed. But you got to give credit to the Packers and the way they started off their season. And a lot of people looked at the NFC as being, going into this year, whether it was going to be Seattle, whether it was going to be San Francisco based on last year, obviously Tampa, even New Orleans. But Green Bay right now is looking like the strongest team in the conference and they showed that last night by winning down in the Superdome. And we could say Seattle's another winner based on yesterday's game, but they had a lead. They blew it late, but then they did come back. Russell Wilson, another five touchdowns. I believe he has 14 touchdowns, which was the most over the first three games, breaking Pat Mahomes' record. And earlier this week, you hear all the chatter about Russell Wilson winning an MVP and the controversy about how he's never received a first place vote. Does anybody really care? Uh, Are people really that desperate for storylines? That desperate to get on these hot take shows and undisputed and all that to come out and say Russell Wilson has never nobody cares he's on the verge of winning an MVP this year but we're only three weeks in so if you want to hand him a trophy for a week three MVP go right ahead but to me that is the most silliest the most inane and the biggest waste of time of a discussion that I've ever seen and right people could say well what else are we going to talk about well there's a lot of other things to talk about I can spend nine hours on this podcast talking about everything, but I'm not going to talk about, oh, Russell Wilson, he's the MVP, and why didn't he get a first place vote? Give me a break, underlined it 50 times with 9,000 exclamation points. So I'm not even going to put Seattle as one of my winners. My second winner, and this is going to be strange because all three of them are from the NFC North. We know Atlanta, it's time for them to fire their coach. If Arthur Blank can't see it now, he's never going to figure it out. He really isn't. So for the Bears, give it up. Trubisky, now his job is on the line because Nick Foles, who has been the best relief pitcher to be able to close out these games, we know about his resume in Philadelphia, and now here he is. He comes to save the day where they had blown the Falcons a 13-point lead, and then they come roaring back to win down in Atlanta. So the Bears, who would have thought that they'd be 3-0 to start their year? And for them to win that type of game, what was it, 30 to 26? As a matter of fact, I think it was a 26-10 lead, if I'm not mistaken. But for the Bears to come back and win that game, and for Foles, we'll see now. Now, it's early on in the season with Foles. The Foles magic usually comes late in the season. When you think about the Super Bowl year, it was week 12 where Carson Wentz blew out his knee in Los Angeles, and then Foles took over, and they won a Super Bowl. Same for the year after, where Wentz got hurt, and then Foles not only propelled them into the playoffs, but they won that game in Chicago, ironically enough, and then they came that close to winning in New Orleans before going to a championship game. So a lot of the Nick Foles magic that you've seen over the years have been late in the season. If he's going to come and try to save the day now, and we know this guy's made out of glass, that doesn't bode well for the Bears. But as of right now, it's looking great, and they are 3-0. and Who would have thought that the Bears would get off to this type of start? Kudos to them, and I'm going to give my other winner of the week to the Lions, because Matt Patricia, he is certainly on the hot seat in Detroit, and for them to win that game against a 2-0 team in the desert, 26-23, just a great performance by the Lions. Now, a lot of them were field goals. I know Matt Prater was your MVP of the game as he hit a million field goals, but at the same time, for a team that was on life support, and we all know they're not going to do big things this year anyway, but for them to go on the road to win a game like that against a team that's on the come up. Uh, To me, I thought that was very impressive. And we could also look at what the Buffalo Bills did yesterday as well. We could get that. Now, mind you, they had a 28-3 lead, and they gagged it before having to win it late. I know it was that pass interference call, which was controversial, which pretty much set up that winning score. And then you have the Tennessee Titans, another team that has started off 3-0 and have done good things. And they also had to fight tooth and nail to come back to win against the Vikings there in Minnesota. But to me the top three are the ones in the NFC North And my losers of the week We wanted to see what Las Vegas was all about Alright they won in Carolina in week one No big deal there Okay they beat the Saints For all of the transgressions that the Saints are going through right now With Breeze and no Michael Thomas But they still won a game 34 points in their building Okay let's see what they could do If they come east against a New England team That lost the prior week to Seattle and although they hung in the first half, they were only down by three at halftime, but they got their doors blown off in the second half. And is that a sign of things to come for the Raiders? Who knows? But if you were hoping for them to be competitive throughout the game, or maybe if it came down to a final score of a late field goal, them losing in that fashion, okay, we could say the Raiders did a good job. No moral victories and losing. But when you saw what happened there yesterday in Foxborough, it's going to make you think like, uh, I can't trust the Raiders just yet. That's team number one. The second team, I gotta put the Texans there. The Texans had a good first half in Pittsburgh yesterday, to the tune of 14 for 18 for 202 with two touchdowns for Deshaun Watson. And then I know the second half, the Steeler defense turned it on. They were able to get a turnover there, which was huge. Not only that, but they held them to 60 yards passing in the second half. And for the Texans, who have had a brutal start to their schedule, they had to go to Kansas City, they had to. Play against Baltimore and then go to Pittsburgh, where all three teams of those right now are combined 7 0 and the big one tonight between the Chiefs and Ravens. So we'll see which one will come out three and zero. Just a brutal start for the Texans, which we can't really fault them, but for them to be down 17 14 right before the half and to score a touchdown to go into the locker room. To be up 21 17, that was a game that they not gonna say should have won. But that's a game if you're Deshaun Watson and we know their coach is terrible but that's a game you got to find a way to win. And they didn't do it. And right now they're 0-3 and looking at a long season in front of them. And then the last one right I could say the Cowboys here because they came back they had a lead and then Dak Prescott threw for 472 yards and look at them as you know one of the losers of the week. I'm not going to go there. And Same for the Rams. You know, they had to come from behind two and then they end up losing. So you can look at that and say, eh. But to me, the losers are the two New York teams. And I know I said that before with the scores and there's nothing much to say. They're both combined 0 and 6. They're going nowhere fast. And Joe Judge is going to be there, but the Adam Gase watch is on. So between him and Dan Quinn, it's pretty much a celebrity death match as to which coach is going to be fired first because right now, both of those teams are just, oh, you can't even watch them. That's how bad it is. So that's what you got there. And as far as some of the other games this week, Tampa goes to Denver, which has been a house of horrors for Tom Brady. Throws for almost 300 yards. They went easily 28 to 10 out in a mile high. We talked about Dallas with Prescott, with those yards, throwing up 472. Now again, when you're behind, you're going to throw a lot. So those numbers can be skewed a little bit. But the Cowboys, and that's an awful division. God, the NFC East. the think, if the Cowboys would have won that game, they would have had a stranglehold on that division and they only would have been up by a game. We talked about the Giants, how awful they are. The Redskins lose to Cleveland. Philly had a tie with the Bengals. They would have had a two-game lead over the Giants and for all intents and purposes, a two-game lead over the Eagles. And the Redskins one and two and nobody expects them to do much. The Cowboys... They pretty much now Are in that quagmire with them So I got it makes you think It's going to go back to last year Where a team may be 8-8 eight eight or 9-7 and seven to win the division Now the Cowboys can't turn it up And they have a very hard schedule Because they have to play the AFC North We understand they have the division games But the Cowboys are just like 2020 They are unpredictable from one day to the next Minnesota had a bad loss I know we talked about Tennessee there Winning that game coming from behind They're 0-3 And that's a surprise 0-3 team I, I expected more out of the Vikings And I get that they had the Packers out of the gate And they went to Indianapolis and flopped And now Tennessee And Tennessee's that type of team Where you're going to have a very interesting Week 4 game between Pittsburgh and Tennessee And I'm going to get to that in a second But that was a game of note I thought yesterday Now congratulations to Coach Matt Rule For getting his first NFL win But are you going to go crazy By them beating the Chargers yesterday in LA Now Justin Herbert had another big game He threw for over 300 yards I know Tyrod Taylor That situation was just Beyond Crazy With the doctor That shot puncturing his lung But if you're Anthony Lynn You cannot This guy's your future Why are you going to bring Tyrod Taylor back? And I understand you could give Herbert a soft landing You could say Hey this is your team for the future But I want Tyrod Taylor And Anthony Lynn we all know We talked about it last week this is his job right now. And you would think that with this team pretty much in rebuild mode Rivers gone Herbert in Tyrod Taylor the placeholder for Herbert he wants to do whatever it takes to keep his job. But you know what? You got to start the rookie here. He's giving you two back-to-back performances here where he's throwing for over 300 yards. Again, the guy is going to be your future. He may not be Anthony Lynch's future but I'm sure the Charger fan the 16 of them are out there they're going to be looking at this like bringing the rookie We do not want to see Tyrod Taylor and, You know some of these games yesterday I know I highlighted it more from the loser side When you look at Vegas I right? give it up to New England Cam Newton did not have a big game by the way But New England did New England things They won their game And that's what you pretty much have You know are you going to go crazy about Cleveland beating Washington So even though there were some games of Craziness Whether it's the comeback Chicago beating Atlanta the comeback by the Rams but the Bills pulling it out the end same for the Cowboy Seahawk game you had a tie in the league yesterday which was weird Steelers coming back in the fourth quarter which I'll get to in a minute Detroit winning on the road in Arizona so you had those games where you just look at it and say wow you're just shocked by some of these outcomes of the game now quickly on the Steelers Roethlisberger started out slow the defense they gave up that touchdown right after them scoring a touchdown before the end of the first half which didn't bode well and I've said it time and time again the steel defense is good but they're not on the level of great just yet but then when you look at what they did in the second half they put the clamps down Watson didn't do anything comparable to what he did in the first half of that game Steelers did just enough the James Conner run with a two point conversion there with six minutes to go in the fourth Iced it for them and then the defense held the Texans at bay. And three things I'm going to say about this game. One, the invisibility of J.J. Watt, who I've said time after time after time, going up against his brother. And his brother had a key sack there in the final possession, where I believe it was what, the second and 10, and they were able to get the sack there. They lose 10 yards, which was all T.J. Watt. And he's just showing how much of a defensive presence he is on that team. And I'm not going to sit here and say throughout his career he's better than his brother, but you got to face it. If you're a GM and you're going to choose J.J. Watt or T.J. Watt to be on your defense right now, sorry, you got to put J.J. Watt aside. I don't care if he's NFL man of the year, two or three times defensive player of the year. uh Uh-uh. The man does not show up in big games and never has. And T.J. Watt's showing that he's being that impact defensive player in the league as he is right now. Hopefully he doesn't turn out to be his brother, but obviously he still has plenty of football ahead of him. That's number one. Number two, even after Roethlisberger's slow start, he came back and did very well. Still has zip on that fastball. As long as he's upright, they're going to be fine. And then the third thing is, I understand that the Steelers have beaten nobody. Their combined records of the three teams they've beaten, 0-9. Which is going to lead to next week. That's going to be a huge test. They got to go to Tennessee. They're 3-0. A team that somewhat built like the Steelers physical defense they don't throw the ball over the lot they're more of a running team as we all know with Derrick Henry I haven't looked through the whole schedule next week which we'll do in a second but to me that is a highlight game of the week not only because both teams are 3-0 but these are two teams that could maybe unseat the Kansas City's and the Baltimore's of the world for ASC supremacy so that's a game that a lot of people I think are going to look at and again I understand 0-9 Giants 0-3 Houston 0-3 And then last week they beat Denver who is now 0-3 Understood But you have to beat the teams in front of you That are on your schedule And usually the Steelers play down to teams that Aren't their level From a talent standpoint So you got to give it up to them But next week's going to be a test And I'll certainly be willing to see how that Unfolds for the Pittsburgh Steelers Now as I look ahead to week 4 I talked about earlier what game three of the NBA Finals will be matched up in primetime versus the Sunday night football game. Man, even as bad as this matchup is, the NFL will still slaughter the NBA. Even if the series is tied 1-1 or if the Heat are up 2-0. Philadelphia at San Francisco. Man, good night lights. I know San Francisco played better, but if you're going to have Nick Mullins as the quarterback and who knows the status of Jimmy Garoppolo and in the Eagles they can't even buy a win to save their lives and you even have a little bit of a I'm not going to say a quarterback controversy but I know a lot of people are wondering hey is Wentz 100% what's going on there Jalen Hurts waiting in the wings if I'm Eagle fans I would not so fast with going on Jalen Hurts just yet although I think he could do big things in this league as I mentioned during my NFL preview but that is your Sunday night matchup and then your Monday night Next week is Atlanta and Green Bay. Ooh, those are bad games right there. Both of those. But your Thursday night game, whew, oh my goodness. It, it goes from bad to bottomed out worse. Think of your primetime games this week, people. Thursday night, you're going to be treated with an all-time epic matchup between the Denver Broncos at MetLife against the New York Jets. And then your 425 game. Which isn't looking too bad New England and Kansas City But it's not going to be reminiscent of the AFC Championship game A couple of years ago Or even the game last year in Foxborough Where the Chiefs escaped with a victory Late in the season But you have the Eagles and Niners And then Atlanta and Green Bay As your Sunday and Monday night games Wow, that is, is But your highlight game of the day And I'm looking at it here Right, you could say New England and Kansas City maybe but Pittsburgh at Tennessee is your best one o'clock game by far. Uh, look at this one o'clock schedule Indianapolis at Chicago, Cleveland at Dallas, New Orleans at Detroit, Seattle at Miami, the Chargers at Tampa Bay, Baltimore at Washington, Arizona at Carolina, Minnesota at Houston, the Giants at the Rams. Buffalo at Vegas Mayhem Maybe Buffalo Vegas But this is a brutal Week 4 schedule I, I mean Can we just skip to week 5? Because this is as, as bad as it gets Ugh, Boy Oh my goodness That is this. I don't even know what to say I, I got no words So I will just leave it at that Let me move on to the NHL real quick As we get into the Stanley Cup Finals. As I said earlier tonight, the Tampa Bay Lightning looking to hoist a cup over their heads, and you would think that Victor Hedman will be your Consmite trophy as the playoff MVP. The Lightning, by far, are the best team in the league. I saw it last series against the Islanders. We've seen the talent up and down that lineup. They're a finesse team, they have excellent offensive players. And they've shown it here in this postseason. And Dallas, they're going to have to gut out another one tonight in order to push us to a game seven. Now, the rating, I'm sure, has been awful. As I said before, and I'll say it again, nobody's watching this cup final. Nobody. And I've been in and out of it. I haven't really watched it like crazy. I didn't watch the game Friday night. I was all engrossed in the Celtics. And I did watch the overtime there on Saturday where Corey Perry got the goal in the second overtime. But if the Stars are going to win tonight They're going to have to Get out fast And stay ahead The minute they're behind tonight I think they're going to be done Because Tampa at that point They're going to smell it They're going to taste it When you look at how some of these games have unfolded Just look at game three When you look at how this series has unfolded Since the last time we were together Game two They jumped out to a 3-0 lead They did hang on to win 3-2 But they were pretty much in charge throughout Game four They jumped out to a 2-0 and 5-1 lead And they were able to win 5-2 Game 5 was a little bit of back and forth Although Joe Pavelski got the big goal To get the equalizer there in the third period In order for them to win In the double overtime But to me they're going to need to play in front tonight Because if they don't I could just see it being An avalanche of goals And then Tampa will finally get that cup victory That they've been long Longing for Now they did win a cup in 2004, we understand that's a long time ago, but considering the way this team has been constructed with John Cooper being the coach there for a long time, we know about Victor Hedman, who's been a mainstay there down in Tampa, all the guys that they brought in over the years, whether it's the Ryan McDonough's of the world, obviously the way they've drafted the Nikita Kucherov's, we know the cast of characters that are on that team, and they have immense talent, what could you say, Kucherov's a former MVP, and I hate to say it, I, I don't want them to win. I hope Dallas comes back and wins these next two games, but I, I just can't see it happening. Tampa, by far, is the best team in the league, and if they win, good for them. Which poses the question, I haven't even gotten to the Tampa Bay Rays, but think about this, people. Is Tampa Bay right now the sports hotbed in the country? And the only reason why I say that is because you have a team that's on the verge of winning a cup, you have a team that sports the best record in the American League is a one seed in the Tampa Bay Rays, and who knows how deep they could go, and we'll get to them in a minute. And then you have the Buccaneers with all their pomp and circumstance around Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, etc., about them going as deep and long and far in a postseason to possibly a Super Bowl. Now, the answer to that question is, ha ha ha, they are not a sports hotbed by any stretch. But you got to give them a little dap from the standpoint of they have three teams in that area. That are aspiring to be champions And one is on the cusp And the other two Certainly have the potential So Tampa Although that may seem silly And We know the answer to that Right It's Tampa's not going to be confused with New York Chicago Philadelphia Boston Etc But their teams have certainly produced Whether This late in the game If you're the Lightning Or early on If you're Tampa Or building up to it As the Rays are I guess for the 4,000 Tampa fans that are out there They're basking in this uh, glory So you know what? Give it up to them But we know what the answer is to that So, And also I didn't highlight the game 4 The questionable call on Jamie Benn The tripping call in the overtime Which led to the game winning goal by Kevin Shattenkirk Which the stars and their players are going to think about all offseason Even if it's going to be for 6 weeks I kid of course but that's something that they're probably going to That's going to weigh on them When this is all said and done Especially if Dallas does not come out of this with the cup So that's one game that they're going to look at It seems like in all these postseasons Whether it's game one, game two with the Celtics Whether it's the game two for the Nuggets The Islanders losing that game in overtime game four In the previous series and All these crucial moments of these postseasons Where it just turns on a dime and that's why the playoffs in every sport are so special Because it always seems to be that one moment That just turned the tide Or made the difference for that team going on to win a Stanley Cup And as we said before They could do it tonight The Lightning to win their second cup and first in 16 years With a win in the bubble in Edmonton I know I didn't mention this last week But how does Pete Laviolette have nine lives when it comes to coaching? As it is, he's on his fifth one now because he's been hired as the coach of the Capitals, which I didn't mention last week. But I want to bring it up only because, and he has a very good resume. Remember, he was part of that Islander resurge, as I've talked about time and time again, in 2001 and 2002. That's when they brought in Alexei Yashin, Michael Pekka. They actually made it to a couple postseason appearances, but did nothing with it. Didn't even get out of the first round. But for Laviolette to now have this be his fifth team, And he's been to Three Stanley Cups In his other stops Whether winning one With Carolina Losing one with Philly Back in 2010 And then Nashville And what was that 2016 When they lost to the Penguins Well now he gets a crack at it With the Capitals So Kudos to him Reaching his fifth life Of his hockey career And Let's see if he has Four other stops after This Hoping that uh, This may be the last stop for him Because geez Five coaching Stops in 20 years I mean that's it's pretty impressive when you think about it so let's turn our attention to some postseason baseball and then we have a couple other things to touch on and we'll land this baby as smooth and as soft as possible we could go through the past week we understand the Phillies spit the bit getting swept in Tampa by the Rays and talk about a disappointing season a lot of people thought that they were going to make the postseason out of the Mets and you know I'll touch on them in a few minutes or so But the regular season hour in our rearview mirror, I just want to discuss postseason stuff because I can talk about which teams were jogging for position, which teams made it, which teams didn't make it. We know the Cardinals made it. We know certain teams fell out. Miami Marlins made it of all teams. Yes, we'll get to them in a second. But to me, the storylines of this postseason, there are three of them. And there are three words. Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. That's it. What they do this postseason is, The heat is already on, and they haven't even stepped on the field just yet. You wonder what type of pressure is going to be on that team. 43 and 17, best record in the sport. All the postseason baggage that they've carried for the past seven years and have now been taken off the plane and is on the conveyor belt. And hopefully, it just stays there going round and round and round because they do not want to unpack that as they try to get, speaking of elusive titles. Their first championships Is 1988 To me That's where it begins and ends Now of course There are a couple other storylines Which I'll get to But it is all about the Dodgers How could it not? And then people are going to say If the Dodgers do win Is it a legit championship It's going to be legit people It's going to be in the record books We understand Again It goes back to my opening theme With 2020 That's just how it is And how it goes What else can you do? But it's going to be All about the Dodgers For all the things That I mentioned And you got to wonder They're playing against the Milwaukee Brewers in this first round. You would think they're going to just annihilate them. But could you only imagine if they lost their first game on Wednesday? What would that locker room? What would that organization? And what would that town, who are all into the Lakers right now. They're probably not even into the Dodgers because it's all about LeBron at this moment. But what will that town of Dodger fans think if they lose that first game? Now, mind you, it's best out of three. The games are in LA. No fans. No fans. But if they lose that first game Oh my goodness The ultimate pressure cooker is going to Take place in Southern California And it's not in San Diego That's storyline number one Secondly Now the Yankees limped down the stretch here They had that crazy stretch Where they lost seven in a row In September Then they won ten in a row And then they finished out the year Losing six of eight So it's almost as if Which Yankee team are we going to get here? Now they're going to be ready to go. Garrett Cole game one. Cleveland Indians, an opponent that they're very familiar with. Remember, two years ago, they were down 0-2 to the Indians and then they came back and swept them before they went on to the ALCS against the Astros. But you have to think, the Yankees have been an awful road team. They're going into Cleveland. Cleveland, who have been teetering, kind of like the Yankees. They went through their stretch, they really lost a ton of games and then they ended their season out strong. So which Indian team are we going to see here? They're going to face the best pitcher in baseball. Game one and Shane Bieber. And he's a guy that has been lights out from start to finish. Granted, it's only been 60 games. So a lot of pressure on this Yankee team. And I don't want to hear a pass. I don't want to hear. Oh, they were hurt. Oh, they were awful. No, 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 This team. It's all about October, just like the Dodgers. But you wonder if they're going to be able to turn the switch on and take them to a World Series and then to me the other theme is can the young teams and some of the other teams who have been there over the last few years and what I mean by that is the Padres the White Sox as well as the teams that have been here before the Tampas, the Oaklands, the Atlanta Braves of the world what can they do to get themselves to make a run for this World Series trophy? I find those teams just as fascinating as the Yankees, the Dodgers, even the Astros. And the Astros, they're limping in here. They're going to play the Twins. We'll see how they're going to perform. No fans with everything that they've had to endure. And they made it into the postseason two games on the 500. And it's weird to call a team that made it to the World Series last year actually playing with house money this year. I know it's strange, but... But I think that those storylines... And they're pretty obvious with the Yankees and Dodgers, but also those young teams, because those are the teams that are going to be part of this future of baseball, or you would think. The Padres and White Sox with young talent up and down their roster. Tampa, as we know, they've been building up for this, pretty much, I don't want to say nickel and diming it, but again, if you can name five Rays on their team, then you're a good baseball fan. Same for the Oakland A's, even though they don't have arguably their best player in Matt Chapman. The Braves and everything that they've done over the years And now winning a division title for the third straight year Can they put it together to get them Deep into October and back to a World Series For the first time in forever So I look at those teams as the ones to watch out for here As we get ready to start this postseason come tomorrow And as we look through this first round Which again, it's only going to be for these three days So if you're in the American League It's Tuesday through Thursday And in the National League is Wednesday through Friday And then you have a weekend off And then you'll have the division series start on Monday I believe the American League Monday And then the National League Tuesday And again this is best out of three So the first to two We'll move on to the next round And in the American League And I'll go through this quickly Your first game tomorrow is Houston at Minnesota Two o'clock Followed by Chicago at Oakland Three o'clock Toronto at Tampa five And then the nightcap is New York at Cleveland Now the first game Minnesota has a lot of postseason baggage as well That's another team Just like the Oakland A's That needs to get that giant piano off their back They haven't won a postseason series in forever And with Houston coming in there Houston's pitching I don't love I know they got a couple guys there Greinke We all know He's going to have to be all guile And slop In order to get through these games And Minnesota We know they can mash the ball over the ballpark I'm rooting for Minnesota to win, but that's what my heart says. But my head says that Houston—I could see them finding a way to win the series. And the games are in Minnesota. Not that it matters in that regard. Ah, oh, geez. To me, it's a tough one, and it's easy to say, "Ah, oh, well, Houston has been terrible." But all they need is just to get that one win under their belt, and it doesn't matter. Minnesota can win 13 to five Tuesday, but if they come back and win a three-two game to push it to a game three. All the pressure will be on the Twins to win that game. And that's why I don't trust them. But you know what? I'm going to put my trust in them this one time. I think they're going to win a three-game series. I think it's going to go three games. Houston's going to be heard from. I'll be shocked if they go out with a whimper with everything that they've had to experience this year. Mind you, without the fans heckling them. But still, I'm going to say Minnesota prevails and wins in three. As far as Chicago and Oakland, I would love to see Chicago win. Oakland, another team that they cannot by any stretch win a closeout game to save their life. They've had so many games where they've had leads in series up 2-0 against the Yankees, up 2-0 against that team. Wildcard games were up 7-2 to against the Royals and they ended up losing. Oakland, they've come so far and now that they know they have a little bit of a cushion. The last two years they've lost the wildcard games to the Yankees and the Rays. Now they have a bit of a cushion. Chicago, They kind of stumbled into the postseason They played well all year But they haven't been clicking as of late You wonder if They're now at this point where they're just happy to be here You don't really trust their manager Rick Renteria on top of that I'm going to say Oakland wins in three also Because of the baggage that they have I can't see them just going ahead and sweeping them Can the White Sox win this series? I think they can But Oakland, uh, this would be just bitter If they don't win this series Uh, That's just me Toronto and Tampa, these two teams know each other very well. I think Tampa's going to have to figure out a way to win two games here. Don't you think? I'm going to say Tampa wins. I'm going to give them two games. Why not? And as far as the Yankees and Indians, I'm going to say the Yankees in three. You have a hell of a pitching matchup that first game though. Oof. Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber. Now, I want to see what Bieber's made out of though. We know what Cole could bring to the table in a big pressure spot. Let's see what Bieber does here. It'll be very interesting to see how he performs tomorrow night. It could certainly go a long way not only for the Indians in this one game but if they do happen to beat the Yankees and move on what that could mean for the rest of the postseason. And as far as your Wednesday docket, ready for this people? Your first game is Cincinnati at Atlanta at 12 followed by Houston, Minnesota at 1 Miami at the Chicago Cubs at 2 which is on ABC by the way In the first game Houston Minnesota is on ABC as well let keep that in mind Chicago at Oakland at 3pm White Sox of course Toronto at Tampa at 4 St. Louis at San Diego at 5 New York at Cleveland at 7 Milwaukee at Los Angeles at 10 So you literally have a baseball game Every hour on Wednesday Which is Makes me giddy I love it But as far as the National League Cincinnati Atlanta I know Bauer he could pitch a good game and they have pitching it could be dangerous but if the Braves can't beat the Reds here that's just a bad job on their part I'll say the Braves I'm gonna pick the Braves in two what the hell as far as the Marlins and Cubs I know a lot is gonna be brought back to the 2003 playoff with Bartman that game six where the Florida Marlins at the time beat them to go to the postseason And here's a fascinating thing Do you know that the Marlins Have only been in the postseason Twice before this year And obviously they won the World Series I don't think anybody's expecting them To go anywhere near close to the World Series But to know that they're undefeated In postseason series to this point Says a lot And I'd be shocked Beyond shocked If they beat the Cubs here So even if Bartman's ghost happens to Hover over the stadium And we all know they exercised those demons In 2016 when they beat the Indians But That series I know is going to be Some highlights on that And what took place back 17 years ago But I think the Cubs Are going to win in two games St. Louis and San Diego Here's the thing that scares you If you're San Diego They're a young team They've played well The games are out there But St. Louis There's something in that team's DNA Led by Yadier Molina And you saw it last year With the way they beat the Braves In the five games Would you be shocked If the Cardinals win this series? Just with that being said I'm picking the Cardinals winning three I hope San Diego wins In a sense where I want to see Fernando Tatis on the big stage As well as Manny Machado I want to see them go far But man That Cardinal magic I don't know what it is Now granted They haven't won a World Series Since 2011 But they've been to the postseason They know their way around the postseason And the Padres haven't sniffed the postseason In fact The last time the Padres Were in the postseason Was in 2006 And who do they lose to? You guessed it. Milwaukee and LA. I'm going to say LA in two. But boy, if Milwaukee steals that game one. Man. I don't even want to know. But what's going to be interesting here with this first round. Now you got to remember the only. Series that has any familiarity. In 2020. Obviously is Toronto and Tampa because they played one another. All the other series, this is the first time these teams are playing against one another. That's not to say they're not familiar with the personnel, they're not familiar with scouting reports of these teams, but they're looking at these teams for the very first time. So just something to think about when you look at this first round as Cincinnati plays Atlanta and the Yankees playing Cleveland and all these different matchups other than Toronto and Tampa, that these teams have not faced one another this year. So how they fare against one another, we'll certainly wait and see, but... I find that uh, pretty fascinating when you look at that considering the 60 games were only played between the respective divisions in both leagues whether AL East, NL East AL Central, NL Central AL West, NL West so baseball is here people let's see uh, what the postseason holds and you got 12 baseball games starting tomorrow over a 36 hour period which for the baseball fan like myself is salivating at the thought of it so And a post-mortem on the Mets, I'm going to spend literally three minutes on this. When the Marlins had coronavirus and didn't play for a week, and when the St. Louis Cardinals had to play 11 doubleheaders in 44 days, and they were still two games short. They only played 58 games this year. If they needed the games, they would have played today against the Detroit Tigers, but obviously they didn't need it. They made it to the postseason. No harm, no foul. But knowing that those two teams and especially with the Marlins because a lot of people didn't expect the Marlins to do anything and knowing that they have a super young team and players that you never heard of how the Mets didn't make it to the postseason is just one of the all-time jokes that this franchise has had to endure. It's all there is to it. I'm sorry. They didn't have to be in first place. They didn't have to be 35 and 25. They just had to make the postseason. Listen, the Astros made it to the postseason at 29-31. And I'm not trying to compare the mess to the Astros, but you get my point. We know about the owner that's coming in here. It's not official yet. He's bringing in Sandy Alderson, which I do not like. And the only reason why I do not like that is for this reason only. I was hoping that Steve Cohen would start this regime fresh. Ground zero. Let the daisies bloom. Let the fresh air kick in. Let the laundry hanging out on the clothesline, inhale all that spring freshness. Starting with Sandy Alderson, doesn't evoke that for me. Nothing personal against the guy, and understand he's made some good moves here. Forget about the Cespedes deal back in 2015. To me, that was his fourth or fifth option. But we understand that he's a baseball lifer. He's been part of winning organizations. We get that. But I wanted them to start over. So after he... Is going to hire Sandy Alderson Once this Sale is approved My next question was Is Terry Collins Going to be the manager That's what I mean It's too early To talk offseason The team's been An abomination An utter disappointment Based on the examples I gave you with the Marlins in St. Louis How this team Couldn't make it To the postseason At least the Phillies Could also say the same Because they should have Been in the postseason as well Based on their talent But all you could do If you're the Mets Is this hope That once this sale Is finalized after Sandy Alderson, what is Steve Cohen going to do? And all you got to do is just listen to the podcast last week to get my full take on Steve Cohen and how we hope he doesn't drive this organization into the ground as his shiny new toy and that he's just going to show it off and just spend like a drunken sailor. So if you want to get my take on that, just go there. But to me, the Sandy Alderson soon to be higher is dubious for me. Let's see what he does as far as a GM because he's going to be the president of baseball operations. I don't think he's going to be a GM. And you also got to wonder about his health too Because his health has also been a factor Where he had to step down from his position A couple of years back Because the cancer came back So that's something to keep in mind But if you're a Met fan You're sick You're disgusted This team did nothing They folded like a cheap tent Kudos to Rick Porcello On what he said in his closing remarks Just go to YouTube and see what he said In his press conference So I give it up to him But I don't want to see him next year Goodbye Michael Walker Obviously he this, His contract's off the books I even saw the other day, David Wright, his contract's off the books, believe it or not, as they were still paying him. So now, let's see who the free agents are. Let's try to get a GM. Let's try to make some moves. And we'll talk about that at a later date. And then you have a couple of transactions here that took place over the course of the last 24 hours or so. You had both Alex Gordon of the Royals and Hunter Pence Retire of the Giants. Longtime outfielders mostly for the Giants, for Pence. I know he played on Houston and was also in Philadelphia. But Alex Gordon was a lifetime royal. So they say goodbye to their careers. Ron Renneke won't be back as manager of the Red Sox. So he makes you think, is Alex Cora waiting in the wings once his suspension is done? We'll certainly keep an eye on that. And then also the Angels fire their GM Billy Epler after five seasons and rightfully so. That's been an abomination over there to the tune to where Mike Trout had said that This has been a disappointment. Not making it to the postseason. He wants to have opportunities to do so. He's still young. He's still in the prime of his career at 28. But you got to be frustrated knowing that they have come nowhere near the playoffs since 2014. That one opportunity that they had where they got swept by the Royals. So Epler is gone. Let's see if they bring in a GM that's going to do the right things. In particular with pitching. Because they do have a very good lineup. Even Shohei Otani says he wants to be that two-way player. So yeah, I guess he's going to want to pitch. On Sundays and NBA DH the rest of the time So the Angels have a lot of work ahead of them this offseason So let's see where they go as far as the GM goes All right, now let's wrap up with a couple things before we say goodbye College football We know it's finally kicked off I know a lot of people have been waiting for this moment Where the SEC gets involved And we know about Alabama and what they've done Even Miami They destroyed Florida State And Florida State isn't any good As we know But now we could finally wrap our arms around college football here. And not that I'm going to spend a ton of time on this. I know the big loss over the weekend was Oklahoma losing to K-State. Where Oklahoma you figure would be heard from this year. Even in this truncated season. To the tune of them being one of the finalists for the college football playoff. But because of the seasons being so short. And having this blemish on their record. Does that mean that they don't make it? Time will tell. Remains to be seen. So on and so forth. But... Certainly doesn't bode well early on for them to have this loss in their resume for 2020. So the Sooners may have punted their championship aspirations aside, but we'll see how that all shakes down during the course of these next couple of months. And for college football on a whole, I don't know how this is going to play out. We know this isn't a normal college football season where we could kind of blend into it now when we look at October and we already have four or five games in. With the Power 5 conferences still not ready to play until the end of the month And even into next month as the Pac-12 has now joined the rest of the Power 5 I believe their first game is going to be November 6th Where their conference championship will be on December 18th But because you have this scattered college football season It's almost hard to be able to look at this as a legitimate season from this standpoint Now I'm not a college football expert As everybody knows But this is what I've seen By following it here and there Throughout the course of My 51 plus years on this planet But because it's so fragmented And One loss could pretty much torpedo your College football season If everybody else is undefeated When we're looking at the powerhouses of the College football landscape That even if you are Michigan Or in this case Oklahoma And you may be deserving Of making it to that spot There's going to be a lot of arguments On whether or not these teams belong there Because who knows Oklahoma could be better than Another team that's undefeated And maybe had a better Or tougher schedule That they had to go through But because they didn't make it Obviously with the blemish on their Record and having that loss So you're going to have arguments from now Until Kingdom come As to whether or not these teams In this college football season When there is a champion that's crowned That this team deserved to be in the Final Four or That team didn't deserve to be a Final Four I understand we have to wait to See how this all shapes out And It is a different college season from that regard Because you still have to wait to the end of October To even get the Big Ten games in the mix And then the Pac-12 after that So It's like having three or four different seasons in one You had the college football season That started before Labor Day But those are the Schools that you don't even care about or don't even bother watching or paying attention to. Then you had the college football season in earnest start last week, where all right, maybe you got psyched, or if you're a dying a college football fan, you started to follow, but you know that all the other mainstays in the sport were not there until this week. And then you still have another layer to get to the end of next month, and then another one after that. It's like it's is this really a college football season that anybody wants to follow? And remember, you still have to deal with these COVID numbers that are now starting to spike up in certain regions, especially in the Midwest. So we know the players are going to take precaution. They're going to do whatever it takes for the protocols. And we get that. But that kind of gets forgotten throughout all this. Where kids still want to be kids and they still want to go to parties and be around their friends. And I'm sure certain sections are going to be closed. You can't go into the cafeterias and gymnasiums We get that But All it takes is one And I'm not trying to wish COVID on any of these teams That are playing in college football But Remember That's still a factor Because you have this so spread out And with Conferences joining in late And in conferences joining in later Is this really a college football season That you could Sink your teeth into Or wrap your arms around I certainly can't And I'm not even that Big of a college football fan but that's just how it is And we'll monitor it people You know that I know for the College football fan That's wondering at hey, Jay Rios, When are you going to get to this You know I'm not going to dissect A 52-10 game Between Miami and Florida State Or Alabama winning Another ho-hum game Yeah could I look at Oklahoma But I didn't watch the game And I'm not going to sit here And say oh well this is what happened This is the biggest break in the game I can't There's so many other things To watch right now Of utmost importance That I'm not going to follow Oklahoma football Sorry that's just how it is But now, as we get ready to say goodbye to the NHL for the time being, and then the NBA is going to start their finals, and then baseball is going to be fast and furious for the next 30 plus days, once all that starts to die down, and we could focus on college football, then I'll be able to be fully invested in it. So I ask you, the college football fan, just to be a little bit patient. Once all these other sports bid adieu for 2020, and we could get our arms stretched and ready to wrap around what will be left of a college football season because we know it's just all over the map you had the French Open start yesterday where Coco Gauff who lost in the first round of the US Open if you remember was able to flip that and upset the number 9 ranked Johanna Conta in Roland Garros and is a tournament As we all know Rafa Nadal on the men's side He's dominated throughout the years Let's see what happens This year As you have Novak Djokovic back And for all the things That he's done in the last month On the court Whether it's the US Open Striking tennis balls Or cursing on the Court towards The referee Getting all these warnings Even Victoria Azarenka Who made it to the US Open final Against Naomi Osaka She's voiced her displeasure about fans being in attendance in Roland Garros. Now, I haven't watched any of it, so I don't know. I'm sure it's scattered. There's only but a handful of fans there, but she's a little bit worried. I wonder if any other players have come out and said anything about that. I haven't heard of anything from any of the players on the men's or the women's side, but is the building half full? Is it 25%? Uh, who knows? But I'll be sure to keep an eye on that this week so that for next week I can get a better feeling of that. But you have the French Open Which is the final major tennis tournament of the year We know that this is usually played at the end of May into June But because of COVID And obviously not seeing Wimbledon this year This will be it as far as tennis is concerned And then one last thing For Conor McGregor To come out and I believe on Twitter And say that he's going to fight Manny Pacquiao in the Mideast at some point I don't know when I guess a date hasn't been said Or a press conference Or anything like that But Does anybody really care What Conor McGregor does At this point This man retired Like three months ago And we knew He was going to resurface At some point But now He wants to fight Manny Pacquiao I guess Knowing that he did For him Relatively well Against Floyd Mayweather Although he got knocked down In the 10th round Then now he wants to Flex his muscles And go up against Manny Pacquiao why would why would Pacquiao even entertain this fight? It's no win for him. And we understand it's a no-lose for McGregor unless he gets completely undressed and embarrassed. But you don't think that's going to be the case. But I just think for him to just throw that out there, oh, jeez. I mean, are people really going to flock to the pay-per-view and get that if they fight, whether it's tomorrow, New Year's Eve, next year? Oh, jeez. I just had to throw that in the mix for whatever reason. I got none against Conor McGregor. I don't. But... Nobody wants to hear from him So That's all I got to say about that But right, now to my hero In Zero of the week My hero of the week Is none other Than the Kansas Comet Gale Sayers The one time Chicago Bear Hall of Famer The only rookie To score six touchdowns In a game What was that Back in 1965 Against the San Francisco 49ers As electrifying as they come That this league has ever seen Comparable to Barry Sanders For some of the younger folk Who don't know who Gale Sayers is Had the famous quote From the NFL films Just give me 18 inches of daylight That's all I need He passes away At the age of 77 This past week Due to dementia Obviously he was a major part Of that Bear team Which had Dick Buckus on it And also was part of the film Brian song Brian Piccolo As we all know That TV movie Who died of cancer And Sayers The friendship that was bonded Between him and Piccolo made into that TV movie Forever Immortalized by Billy D. Williams as well as James Caan who played Brian Piccolo but Gail Sayers who only played 68 games and was a measuring stick from the regard of didn't have that long career but was so dominant that made it to the Hall of Fame the first of his kind I know Terrell Davis then later on not to compare his style to Gail Sayers because you can't but he had that dominant but short career but made it to the Hall of Fame but Gail Sayers was the Pretty much a trailblazer when it comes to that. All thoughts, prayers, condolences, even five, six days after his death to the immortalized Gail Sayers. And my zero of the week goes to whomever the Las Vegas Raiders personnel is, was, or to be for violating COVID 19 protocols by allowing unauthorized people into that locker room. Now, here's a brand new stadium, they just got it open. Team goes there, and within days the NFL has to investigate on which characters, strangers, whatever in the locker room, whether it was pregame, post-game, whatever it was. Who didn't have a better sense or handle on that is beyond me. Like it just and I don't even know how many people. For all we know, all it takes is one person, as we know, but there could have been 15 people there. And could you imagine at the end of a celebratory victory where you had three or four people walking by and touching footballs and equipment who knows well as of today no Raiders thankfully as far as their coaches or players are concerned have been tested positive but still that's just an awful job whomever did that so they get my zero of the week because that just that doesn't make you scratch your head that makes you just slap your head how unconscionable that is but all right that'll do it for episode 157 I appreciate you guys thank you so much for listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports and I know this one was a little longer than normal I certainly had to get a lot off my chest we understand there's a lot of sports that is happening right now as I've chronicled throughout the course of this past I guess hour and a half I don't even know how long this is but if you stuck with me throughout it all I appreciate it and if you liked what you heard loved what you heard enjoyed what you heard all I can ask you to do, if you haven't done so already, is to please subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, or whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, anywhere you get your podcast. If you just subscribe to it, it'll go right to your tablet, your phone, your device, wherever you subscribe to it. And then if you could just leave me a little blurb on what you thought about the program, all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, and in turn, generate interest for those who Aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast? So I can have them on as guests. So whether that's the former athlete, the current athlete, the blogger, writer, broadcaster, studio host, etc., I'm trying to get that second guest. It's been a little bit of a grind the last uh, month or so, so they could share their experiences of what happened on the field, off the field, in the booth, etc. So please subscribe, rate, and review. I would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you want to follow me on any of my social media accounts. You want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, an email, you could do so by going to Instagram at J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is Strictly Sports. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. I have a fan page there. And then my email address is the Podcast at gmail.com. And whether you'd like to make a contribution to the podcast, which I would really, truly appreciate you could do so by going on my Patreon page That's www.patreon P as in Paul A-T as in Tom R-E-O-N is in Nancy.com Slash The J Reels Podcast That will go to Everything that's happening behind the scenes Whether that's the upkeep of the website Some production Equipment Things of that nature Just to keep me Functioning and going And building at that point To where I could take this podcast To greater heights Maybe with a little advertising Some marketing Remember, I'm a one-man operation here, so not only do I host, I edit, I write, I produce this podcast solo and I enjoy doing it each and every week as you may or may not know because 157 episodes in, I plan to do 157,000 more as long as the good Lord keeps me on this planet because all I love to do, day in, day out, night, morning, middle of the night, it doesn't matter, I love to talk about everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.